Coming up on the first episode of season four of Office Hours with Carp and Loge, we talk about ChatGPT for a little bit, because everybody has to, and we talk about Kevin McCarthy and the debt ceiling. Will the entire world economy collapse just because Republicans don't know how to run a caucus? Tune in. We'll find out. Welcome back, everybody, people of the pod, to season four, episode one, Office Hours with Carpomoge, still ranting into the void. As I was all of the first season, I'm Peter Loge, an associate professor in the School of Media and Public Affairs at the George Washington University and a strategic consultant. And I'm joined once again, and as always, by Dave Carp. Associate Professor in the School of Media and Public Affairs at the George Washington University. Uh, it's season four of Office Hours of Carp and Loge. I'm going to call this season, season four, We Live in Ridiculous Times. That's like How's an that evergreen that? thing. I feel like that's an evergreen title. But like this, I my prediction for the first half of uh, 2023 is that these will be particularly ridiculous times to live in. Like, I think that you and I are going to come together every two weeks and our listeners are going to tune in to hear us being like, how did, but what, what, uh, but that's ridiculous. This is, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think that's basically going to be public events and that's what we're going to respond to. And uh, yeah, that, that is the wave that we are going to ride to uh podcast starting. It's season I, four when we finally truly right through the uh, uh, iTunes uh, podcast charts. I think it took Seinfeld a while to find its feet. So uh, before we before we get into this, I do want to thank Alana Nevins, our, our erstwhile producer, actually came to our Christmas special um, where we was say sang your happy special. birthday. It was a birthday special. Come it on. Birth- it was a holiday. It was a special holiday extravaganza. And I'm not sure what we did with singing happy birthday, so much as, I don't know, groaning it out or something, but it was... Um, thank you to our to our listeners. Rate us, follow us, tell your friends. This stuff actually matters and adds up. Feed feed the algorithms. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I got. So you're ready for the new the new classes start today. When we're taking yes. a Tuesday, drops tomorrow and Wednesday. Classes start today. Are you ready? Classes start today. Uh, I started to look at classes. The beginning of semesters, the way I look at birthdays. I've got a little bit of excited energy, but it's also kind of just the marking of time. Like this is going to be 10 and a half years that I've taught the same, pretty mostly the same classes to GW students of exactly the same age. Like they stay the same age. I just keep on getting older. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the semester. Six months closer to the grave. <laughs> There's that. Like that's in the back of my mind a little bit. Uh, I feel like the excitement this semester is um, universities everywhere are suddenly terrified that chat gpt is going to do all the work we'll get we'll get to the substance in a minute i do want to i do want to come back to this you're marking time you're telling your students that basically they have joined you in a small cell where you are scratching lines onto the wall with your growing fingernails and watching them like i know what i'm telling my students who are listening to this podcast is they should be aware that they are sitting alongside the ghosts of all previous students who have also taken this class. And yes, I'm comparing and judging them. That's what they're haunting. It's it's a haunting. They're being haunted and you will one day be haunted by them. This is getting creepier. You were at Disney World 
always in the back over. of my mind i'm aware of the jokes that didn't land and hoping that they land this time I, they never I, do not going to change them too much work <laughs> so you are marking time you're depressed and you're and you're lazy so 75 grand a year as i recall i think that but the podcast is free so a little bit of a bonus for you wow you, are you ready for classes and also what are you going to do about chat gpt so the, the classes i'm you know, whenever you apply for a job, we tell our students this, when you apply for a job, you want to be a team player and detail-oriented. I'm largely a team player. I like I like team sports. Every semester, I get something wrong in the syllabus. One, one semester, I had a class meeting on a Saturday. I just didn't notice. This time, I was, I was thorough. I had multiple computers checking calendars and dates and lining up speakers. I got notes from a couple of students who looked at the syllabus early, so good for you looking at the syllabus really pointing out that I actually had classes starting next week <laughs> and were we actually meeting this week yes yes we are meeting this week I just I don't know <laughs> so hopefully hopefully I got the mistake out of the way early Peter Lodge giving you the quality that he is known for I'm an ideas guy it'll be good I think it'll be good I'm teaching the political communication ethics class which is always interesting uh, some really interesting speakers coming in. One of our, uh, some of our alumni, some working professionals, and it's a bit of the the class rattles between Machiavelli and Orwell on one hand, and uh, off the record conversations with pros saying, "Yeah, but here's how it goes on a Tuesday, and if you got to pay your rent, you got to pay back your student loans. Here's how it goes." And I've been teaching it long enough that former students now come back and say, mm -hmm. "Okay, when I sat in room 307, I said I would absolutely not, I'd absolutely not, I'd absolutely not." I've now got a job where I kind of am, I probably am, and I am a little bit, which is interesting to see. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. That's good. And is uh, this filing of the semester that you bring you back to talk to communication ethics, or are you still too scared to put me in the classroom? You know, it's funny that you should make it about you. Um, I try to not have the same speaker more than, more than once. I try to mix it up a little bit. So this time talking about digital communication ethics, um, I, I, I'm really good about not using names or anything, but it's a very senior digital strategist at a large national advocacy organization. Is going to come in and talk about how she makes decisions, the challenges she faces, and she's closer to the student's age. She, she's not marking time, waiting to die, apparently, which is the vibe you're giving off. This is why I want a guest lecture, is because that sense of difference is the only thing that keeps me animated and upright. <laughs> This is season I, four when things get weird. I, and talk about into the void. So chat GPT, we've been at this for like six minutes and people are waiting for content. Content me with chat GPT. I am not worrying about chat GPT at this point Why? in the semester. I, well, I feel like the basic, I mean, first of all, it's not that good yet. Like it can produce a bunch of cliches uh, that are well enough written that like, I, I think it's certainly on par with what an average undergrad might put together when they are doing the, like, they're doing an essay at 4 a.m. the night before it's due, right? And, like, that's that's impressive from a technical standpoint. That is not something that AI could do a year, a year ago. So I'm like, I'm paying attention to that. But we have an honor code that includes not cheating. I'm going to make clear to the students that that honor code still holds, I think at some point, either at GW or at another university this semester, somebody's going to get caught using ChatGPT. Uh, the fires of hell are going to rain down on them. And I really hope that's not one of my students. But I think it's my role in the classroom to be interesting and engaging enough with material that matters for what they think about, what they care about, what they do, 
that they're going to engage in the classroom. I don't think my essay questions are particularly chat GPT friendly anyway. I mean, how their midterm uh, in Stratcom is putting together a campaign plan. Chat GPT is not going to have your strategic insights for you. It's just going to, you know, spit out some paragraphs. I'm going to treat it just like any other cheating mechanism. Uh, I'm going to make clear to everybody that that's not okay. And there will be consequences if you get caught. And then I'm going to keep doing my thing because I think largely what we're seeing right now is the latest thing that universities can spend money on, uh, like can send money to consultants over while they freak out, out about things other than the price of higher education and how little they pay their adjuncts. I think that, that'll make sense. I'm, I'm largely in the same boat. The ethics class, I don't know how you would cheat writing those essays. And honestly, if you're going to cheat in an ethics class, there's nothing I can do to help you or persuade you to do otherwise, because mm -hmm. come on. And in the graduate strategic communications class, it's the same. I just assume these, these students are here for a reason. Our students are smart, interesting. Um, and if they want to cheat their way through, I, I mean, it's kind of their nickel. It's disappointing. Yeah, you're spending a lot of money to learn nothing then. Like yeah. That. Like so, and to check a box and like having a having a diploma doesn't actually get you a job. It's a proxy for having, you know, knowing how to write and think. But at some point you got to do the job. And if you can't do the job, you can't do the job. Yeah. You're not going to chat GPT your way through through life. It's sort of the animal house, you know, Dean's lecture um, mm -hmm. to to the errant fraternity. It's I don't know. I, I just and I kind of treat my students like adults. It's, it says on the syllabi. I assume you're all adults. You make choices. You're spending a lot of money to be here. Uh, you chose to be here. It's hard to be here. What you do when you're here, it's it's up to you. I'm not, you know, I'm not your mom. So there is, I did see a syllabus uh, from a professor at the University of Georgia who has now put in a chat GPT section, a couple mm -hmm. of sentences on chat GPT and, and laying out what you laid out. It's like, this is like, to be clear, this is cheating. Um, you will be punished appropriately for it. Anyway, we're a Stratcoms podcast, so let's get to the Stratcoms piece. Bunch of things going on this season. I want to be more diligent about footnotes, so check out the footnotes at peterlodge.com podcast or Peter Lodge on Medium, where all of these things will be. And we want to do a couple, cover a couple of things this morning. Uh, one is the the pending uh, the debt ceiling debate and potential government shutdowns. So the strategic communications around congressional budgeting brinksmanship. Mm -hmm. What do you? What's going to happen? What's going on? What's the comms approach here? We're going to get up to the brink. I assume they're not actually going to blow up the entire global economy. One dynamic that I think is strategically in, interesting is this is all happening after Kevin McCarthy made it abundantly clear against his own will that he has no control of his own caucus. Right? He is walking into this on the one hand with a weak hand because. He's got no control, but that also means that you're kind of not negotiating with Kevin McCarthy. You're negotiating with Matt Gates, and Matt Gates doesn't usually negotiate with people who aren't 17. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Um, thank you, legal right. counsel. Thanks you for inserting allegedly. Right. Um, I saw a joke around Twitter uh, when McCarthy kept on losing these votes. That the good news is that once there have been more than uh, 17, 17 votes, Matt Gates will surely lose interest. The point here is that that makes this more difficult because it means that it's not even going to be Biden and McCarthy in a room saying, okay, how do we get this done? It's actually going to be Biden and McCarthy in a room with McCarthy shuttling back and forth saying, well, I would like the global economy to, not to end, 
I'd also like Republicans not to get blamed for this. And I'd also like to not lose my job. And we all know I'm going to lose my job. So that that makes this on paper very difficult to do. I think it increases the likelihood that you finally have a solution to this that comes down to executive branch creativity. I am in favor of minting the platinum coin. If our listeners haven't heard about that, we can we can drop something about it in the footnotes. Platinum coin is an idea that came up during the Obama era when they were dealing with a, a previous iteration of these fights over the debt ceiling. To be clear, Congress passes the budget. The executive branch is required to pay all of the United States' debts. There's a debt ceiling. When the budget naturally gets us above the debt ceiling, they just have to increase the debt ceiling. It's just a budgeting thing. We are not like a normal household because the U.S. government can print its own money. Households can't do that. So the whole household analogy drives me crazy because it's just it's just wrong. Um, it's like easy and facile, but wrong. So an exec- a creative executive solution is to say, we are going to, the treasury is going to mint a trillion dollar platinum coin and not use it, just hold on to it. And that then increases the available money in the to, to cover the debt ceiling by a trillion dollars. Um, there's some that would get challenged, it would go up to the courts, who knows what the Supreme Court would do, because who ever knows what the Supreme Court would do. But in a country where Congress just doesn't work, and with McCarthy running the House, Congress really doesn't work, your options are either possibly end the entire global economy, unless Kevin McCarthy is better at his job and more capable than he seems to be, and he's not. Or the executive branch says, okay, Treasury, mint the damn coin. I think it's useful that that idea has been around for over a decade now. When it first came out, it just seemed so silly that no one would do it. Now it's like an old idea, like it's an idea from my youth. So like, hey, maybe it's time to finally try that out. So I'm going to look at executive branch solutions because otherwise, and like there's comms, this is far enough away from an election that there's probably not going to be real electoral consequences one way or the other. The consequences are probably going to be actual harm to the U.S. and or global economy and U.S. standing. The country will be worse off, but the blame game is far enough away that it probably won't get attached. But that just increases the likelihood that this becomes a mess that needs some solution. Like, we can't actually bring down the global economy just because Matt Gates is a weird dude. I, I guess I'm focused a little less on how do you message the chaos than on what solution can you, like, what can you do to actually fix the problem then you add comms on the back end. I think you do something like the platinum coin and then you focus your energy on saying, look, this is an accounting error. If they want to get the budget in control, Congress can pass a budget. What do you think? So I think I, I want to I want to steer away from the policy debate because I'm not I'm not a policy guy. I do think the explanation of it becomes interesting and a couple of things to note to unpack from what you said. The first is we're going to go to the brink. And I think that's right because everybody, even if you know at the end, you know, you're selling your house, you have a number in your head, you're going to fight like heck to go over that number. But at the very end, you will fall back to your number, right? I don't think most people in Congress want the government to default, but they have to be seen pushing to the end so they can go back to their constituents and say, I brought it right to the brink, right? You don't, you get punished for agreeing early. You are less likely to get punished for agreeing at the last minute because I fought to the very end, even if it was hopeless, Right. The other part of the incentive piece is, again, you've got that incentive. And then you've also got the incentive of wanting to maintain power and not being seen as the the party of destruction. Right. So there's a lot of blame assignment. And I want to come back to that in a second. The other part, as you said, is McCarthy wants to keep his job. If I applied for a job and the first 14 times I applied, somebody said, no, 
I'd look for a different job, right? Like if you ask, if you ask somebody out on a date 14 times in a row, that's like a restraining order. <laughs> this is not. Well, it's, it's definitely a restraining order after like four. If you get to right. fourteen, then actually you're ignoring the restraining order that was approved. Right. This is like McCarthy. I don't know what's going on, but the dude wants to keep like whatever. But I do think so. He has an incentive to at least be seen to be trying to corral things. Mm-hmm. Then you get into the who gets blamed for what, right? And one thing I'm going to put in in the footnotes is some stuff on, on public opinion polling and mostly on government shutdowns because not as much has been done on, on the debt ceiling. Uh, historically, public blames Republicans. Mm-hmm. And it's usually because Republicans are the ones doing this. The Democrats are the ones who are saying, look, let's argue about taxes and spending, but let's not like threaten the global economy to do it. I was, I was in the Senate during the shutdown in the 90s. I was at a federal agency during the shutdown in 2013. It's a pain, it's expensive, it's pointless. The public tends to blame Republicans. Two other points to this, though. The first is, as you pointed out, that's an odd-numbered year, mm-hmm. right? And it's January of an odd-numbered year. No one's going to get punished electorally in November 2024 because of bad behavior in, in January, February 2023. What you can do is help reinforce the narrative. See, I told you they were crazy. I told you they were crazy. They're ridiculous. They're extreme. And the Democrats and the Republicans will send out lots and lots of emails saying, they are profligate spenders. Here's my example of the $100,000 thing that's dumb. And Democrats will more honestly say they think it's more important for Elon Musk to not pay his taxes and to score points back home than it is to actually you know, advance the global economy. The other thing that does happen, though, is it lowers faith in the economy in general, mm-hmm. right? which is bad. And if I'm a major investor, if I'm a you know, investment fund, or I'm moving a lot of money around, I think, geez, the US just cannot get its act together. I'm either going to put my money in less risky places, which hurts economic development, or I'm simply going to put it in another country or elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? And so you, what you end up doing to score really, truly minor political points is long-term damage potentially to the US economy and to the global economy. You know, meanwhile, while Democrats and Republicans are busy assigning blame, Right. There's some credit taking politics. I did this. I did this. But mostly what you want to do is assign blame for bad things, because once you're elected, you can't get unelected mm-hmm. or you can't get more elected. You can only get unelected, which means you have an incentive to say not my fault. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. And if we get to the, the coin debate, it's going to be this is goofy. Then if on the White House, I might message going, look, you give us no option. Of course, this is goofy. Mm-hmm. But this is an option that will not collapse the global economy. If you behave like adults. You know, McCarthy cut a deal, like ignore Gates and Boebert and them. McCarthy cut a deal with Jeffries to get enough D's and enough R's together mm-hmm. and create sort of a not crazy person caucus, then that that might end up being it. I don't know. Right. I miss the reason why I think the likelihood of the platinum coin goes up is I think there are enough votes in the Republican caucus who can credibly claim we don't care if this creates a global recession or depression because we kind of want a recession going into 2024 that we can blame on Biden. Like the, the fact that it is out there that McCarthy, who was obviously, who a few months ago seemed like he would obviously be speaker, like McCarthy needed 14 votes to get that done, kind of suggests that you're either going to 
strike a deal with Jeffries, in which case he's then immediately going to get tossed out of speaker, or you're not. And that means that the executive branch needs right. to be the adults in the room because you you can't even do the basics. Like, not only can you not raise the debt ceiling, you couldn't even get appointed speaker. Like, under those circumstances, that kind of, I, I think, leads to a pretty honest and compelling message that you can put out there of, you know, we're going to do the goofy accounting trick because Kevin McCarthy, who could who took 14 votes to even like get the gavel, can't do the basic accounting stuff. When he's ready to do that, then we're happy to work with him on this. But I, I think that does set up a situation in which weird executive branch tricks that otherwise the folks would be on how goofy it is. I think there's a natural connection between this story and how hard it was for him to get the basics done. Hey, we don't have basic competence, so how are we going to keep the global economy running? There's this accounting trick. It's it's the chaos caucus, and I think that's an easy story for the Dems to tell. And once again, with the executive branch action, gets back to incentives, mm-hmm. right? If I'm a Republican in Congress and I don't want the global default, but I do want to keep my job and I don't get I don't want to get yelled at by my constituents, and I know the executive will act responsibly, I have no incentive to act responsibly. Mm-hmm right? Because somebody else will clean up my mess, right? I mean, that's one reason for the creeping size of the executive is, you know, Congress has all sorts of incentives to just rant and shout and then pass actual responsibility off to somebody else. If that something else goes badly, Congress now has an incentive to shout. But now we're moving into incentives and lobbying and executive branch power and all of that. And the clock is running. So to put a bow on it, it is kind of an everyone, like Republicans best interest, or at least an awful lot of them. I think an awful lot of them would love nothing more than keep the global economy going by doing something that we can then have impeachment hearings over, right? right? Mint the coin. We can have, oh my God, imperial presidency, we must impeach him hearings for the next year. Fundraise off of those, go on Tucker Carlson and yell about how like this is such a betrayal. Like that's what they want to do anyway. So I'm not saying it will happen. Like I never expect that anything will actually get done. But there must be some resolution. I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like that because it actually ends up fitting everyone's incentives. And if you think about how these decisions get made, I think that's absolutely right because these decisions aren't made, you know, sort of thoughtfully in a room with people considering calmly and playing out with, you know, game theoretic models. It it's much more like a drunken chat GPT on a Thursday night. What are we going <laughs> to do? I don't know. Look, punt. It'll be fine. Buy it'll do something. We'll make noise about it later. I got a plane. Right? it's not gpt thursday night uh i'm I, I like that i like that let's go to political scandals and we've got a bit of an array here and we're gonna we're gonna under discuss this today so we can over discuss it later three things on a, on a continuum mm-hmm. george are you kidding me santos george santos biden apparently having classified documents next to his corvettes <laughs> like props for the vet, but come on, Mr. President. And then and then Trump claiming it's just like his stealing stuff and refusing to give it back. Mm-hmm. Again, no false equivalency. These are not the same. Right. But I could make the case from a comms perspective that, look, it's those politicians being, of course, they're corrupt. Of course, Santos lied. Of course, Biden took stuff. I hate all those people. Mm-hmm. From a comms perspective, if you're the president, what do you do? You got the McCarthy Santos thing, and then there's the that has implications for Trump as well. What do you think? Let's take the the latter two of those together. The president appointed a special counsel. That's probably the right move. 
because um, you can either appoint a special counsel or wait until uh, you're forced to, um, or, or forced to appoint somebody. Um, of course, those two things aren't the same. And of course, this is perfect grist for Fox News and a perfect opportunity for CNN and the New York Times to trot out false equivalency headlines because those generate the most clicks, right? Like there's people who are an audience for that and uh, people for, who are an audience for yelling about that. Um, so of course, they're all going to play their scripts and do that. I guess I kind of feel like it was already very unlikely that Trump was going to face any meaningful consequences if he was going to face them for you know, stealing and refusing to give give back classified and top classified uh, top secret documents. That would have had to happen pretty quick because now he is running for president uh, and has uh, the majority of the House uh, actively love like supporting him when they're not saying like oh but maybe DeSantis that makes it already very unlikely and this is certainly a beat in that story which makes it ever less likely because the the public clarity of this is a line well this is a line that can never get crossed gets fuzzier when these two things that are not the same sound kind of the same so I mean for Biden we're gonna have a special counsel nothing's gonna happen because like yeah, you, you had a box in a document, you, a document in a box, you found it, you handed it back in, like, come on, dude. So nothing's really going to happen there. There will probably be some congressional hearings because they're going to try to impeach him three times so that they can say he got impeached in the House more times than Trump. So like, they'll have hearings, but like, there's not going to be anything there because there's no there there. Trump was already not probably going to face any real consequences. The likelihood just went further down. I think you're right. I mean, if I'm Biden, if I'm the Biden White House, my comms play is, wow, this should not have happened. I have I've appointed a special counsel. I have asked the FBI or somebody to go through my house, my office, double check everything, take anything top secret or classified that shouldn't be there, turn over to the National Archives immediately and tell me after they've done it. Yeah. Right. I don't want to wait. I just, this huge mistake should not have happened. Like, this mistake, moving on. But what that does do is just take away away. You can say, oh, look, Trump, he's the one who, because for a while, the, the case for DeSantis was he's like Trump without the indictments. Mm-hmm. It's harder to make that case now because, oh, look, and again, it feeds this narrative that like you just decrease faith in politics and yeah. politicians. Of course, they're all corrupt. Of course, they're all right. And I've saw people on social media saying when I served in government, I walked in with a stapler and a coffee cup and I walked out with a stapler and a coffee cup. Yeah, I walked in with a coffee cup as well. And I was very senior. But I wasn't the president of the, I wasn't the vice president of the United States, right? I was like yeah, some they, appointee. It's different than helping run the world for eight years. Right. Like, you, you weren't being asked to also maintain a bunch of things that can be useful to historians who later need to like archive what you did. Right. I mean, I had to turn over all the documents, right? Everything I worked on didn't belong to me, all of that. And there's, I've gone back to the past couple of years thinking, wow, I wish I had access to that because it'd be helpful in teaching. I didn't. But it's like the idea that that somehow what I wrote or produced that access to is equivalent to the vice president of the president of the United States is, is absurd on its face, right. but that's way too nuanced for messaging. And this probably won't happen because it's too many moving parts. A, a thing that a few people pointed out in the earliest days of this Trump scandal were like, yes, what he did is clearly wrong. And also there ought to be a conversation about overclassification. And the response was kind of like, yeah, this is not the time to have that conversation. There's an, an opportunity here, which probably won't be taken because it's not a high enough priority for the a Biden team, I wouldn't think. But, you know, like they, they do rampantly overclassify documents. And there's an opportunity here for him to say, 
we're going to appoint a special prosecutor because this was wrong. This was an honest mistake, but a special prosecutor ought to look, in, look into it. And then after all of that is done, separately, we should talk about overclassification. Like th this could be an opportunity after you have shown that you are going to earnestly and scrupulously deal with the mistake to say, also, there's a separate issue and now's the time to talk about it. Because we're not going to talk about it, but now we're just never going to talk about it. And again, probably doesn't rate as a priority of theirs, but like if it ever was going to, then this could be a, a step towards it. I know it's, it's, clearly we have an overclassification problem, but politically there's no upside. Yeah. And there is potential downside because nobody's going to vote or not vote for you because of your position on medical classified documents. But no matter how Biden explains it now, even if it's after you know, this stuff is cleared up, it'll look like an excuse or what's he going to, if he gets reelected, what he's saying is he's going to take stuff with him. Like it's just, it's just too easy a hit. It's no. Yeah. Okay. But then let's acknowledge, and this is, this is probably true, that overclassification is just never going to rate. It's, it's never going to be a priority. Santos. Santos, is he going to be back in two weeks? Is he still going to be in Congress in the I, U.S.? I think that Santos... Uh, we, we, have a, we have a former colleague who uh, retired a little while ago, Bob Entman, who wrote a, a book about political scandal. Really like this book. It's focused on presidential scandals. I think he's going to not resign. And then I think he will lose his primary uh, in, in what, a year and a half. Because Nassau Republican Party is going to be like, no, we're, we're really done with you. And grassroots voters will be like, yeah, no, you're, um, no, no. The I, I do want to say, by the way, the, he, he made a comment about how he never said he was Jewish. He said he was Jewish. I've made that joke in my 20s all the time. That is my joke, sir. Give it back. Clearly, you were the first one to come up with that. I think it's, I absolutely agree. Holy cats raises all sorts of other questions, ethics questions. It's a thing. We've been through this. The uh, ethics questions about, you know, some of his, some of the Republican firms working for his campaign quit when they learned all this stuff. Others did not. <laughs> And they knew, oh, we're going to, oh, we didn't ask why everybody else we like and respected quit, but you're going to pay us bank. Where's the money come from? I don't know. Like it's in bags of 20s in the back of an airport garage. The allegedly. money, unlike his resume, is real. <laughs> yeah, you might want to check to see if that Monopoly money is actually good, uh, <laughs> good legal tender. There, I'm going to throw some stuff in the footnotes on Scandal. I'll add the Entman book, also American Journal of Political Science. In November 2020, has an article by a couple of scholars who come up with a new theory of political scandal. Um, there are some others from political psychology and partisanship and uh, IPSR on ex uh, an experimental look at it. And by and large, what research finds, unsurprisingly, is supporters of the person or the party tend to say, no, 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 you're out to get us, you're out to get us. Everybody else says, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Please resign. And most of the impact is to decrease public trust and faith in institutions and elected officials. Right. So partisans and, and our colleague, uh, Ethan Porter, found this with with elite political rhetoric on um, Trump saying the election was stolen. His supporters believed him. Nobody else believed him. But it really sort of increased the support. And I do think it's going to be and, and McCarthy needs Santos um, because he needs the vote. Some other stuff we're going to throw in the footnotes. We're going to talk about hopefully in future weeks. There's a terrific article in The New York Times on uh, New Year's Day on how an Ohio town got people to eat their leftovers, talks about the importance of raising awareness, but also specific actions tied to awareness. Not just you throw away a lot of food, feel bad, 
it's throw it, you're throwing a lot of food. Here's how to, here's how to deal with it. Also really good stuff that you, you flagged me to Matt Iglesias is slow, boring uh, writing. Uh, Russian, Russian Twitter didn't cause Trump. There's really much less to that story, much more to a different story. That's problematic that I'm going to put in well, there, which is fantastic. And digital ads and presidential campaigns don't matter. Yes. Yeah, so Iglesias covered that, but it was actually a uh, a piece that Josh Tucker and co-authors wrote for uh, Nature Communication, doing a big study that, that that showed what a lot of us were saying for years, which is, look, this this idea that Russian ads on Facebook had some big direct effect on on who voted, and who, who who turned out to vote, and who voted. Look, we know that ads have really small impacts. The idea that the ads had a big impact just because it was from Russia doesn't really hold up. They now have data really supporting that. Which I think is, which is an interesting read, and I want to go into in more detail in future weeks. We're at 35 minutes and change, which is a very long dog walk, and we're sticking with that. David's going to be back. It's going to be back, and it's good. The head in the hands. That's what I'm looking for. The head in there the hands. There it is. There it is. All right, everybody. Walk those uh, dogs, everybody. Walk those dogs, the real dogs that I have, and the pretend dogs that you are has. And uh, rate us, follow us, like us. Thanks, Alana. Thanks, listeners. We'll see everybody in two weeks. You know what I wish they could do is rate us, the two of us individually, because I think I would win that. Like I could get five stars, we get four and a half stars. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot going on in that phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. Bye, everybody.